Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. At Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, we recognise that you're not just one kind of writer. Perhaps you're banging out a novel between copywriting gigs, or maybe you're a blogger with a sideline in poetry. Whatever type or types of writing you do, our goal at Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger is to give you the shot of inspiration you need to finish that novel, submit that thesis or launch that freelance career. I'm your host, Claire Lynch, and in this episode, I talk to creative couple Martin Buick and Ella Johnston. Martin, a poet, and Ella, an artist, are the founders of Dunlin Press, an independent publishing company specialising in intelligent, beautifully produced books of poetry and prose. In our chat, we talked about how they select writers for publication, how they balance their passion project with their day jobs, and how technology has made it easier than ever to get your work published. That's coming right up. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having having us. Can I start by getting you to just introduce Dunlin Press? Describe what it is, what you do, and the sorts of things that you publish. Well, I'll start and then you'll probably take over. (laughs) because <laughs> it's always it's one or the other mm-hmm. um so Dunning Press was founded in 2014 and it was founded after years and years of myself and Martin working together and having various different artistic projects and then us wanting to use the editorial skills that we'd already gained but also to marry that up with our creative interests as well so me being an artist, Martin being a poet and writer, and me having an interest in, in all of those things. And so we in, initially were just talking about sort of putting together a book that was a sort of time capsule of different things and having different voices come in. And we also thought about running it like an indie label, um, without the financial mismanagement or the drugs. Um, <laughs> but to have voices you know just like you know something like creation or 4ad having people and voices that you wouldn't normally hear that weren't necessarily commercial but that we knew that people would want to read and would want to engage with and that's that's kind of the initial ethos Uh, yeah i think we'll just probably say that for people who aren't that familiar dunlins are these little scurrying birds wading birds We'd lived quite a while in London, and when we moved out to um, the the marsh and mud of Essex in Wivenhoe, where we live now, we would see these little scurrying birds on the shores, and uh, we'd never really paid much attention to... Well, there weren't many wading birds in EC1 um, in London, <laughs> I suppose. Um, but um, we we started to pay attention to all the different bird life that was there. And what one of the things that intrigued us is, first of all, that they... They migrate, so they're migratory, they're not there all year round. So we'd see them and for a while and they'd disappear. Um, and also that they they work the margins. And that's the reason we came on the name, right. really. They're small, um, they're quite sociable, there's usually quite a few of them together, um, which was our sort of way of thinking that we'd bring other people into Dunlin Press. Mm. Um, and also that they're, they're not really mainstream. They're not that far out away from mainstream, but they're not mainstream. So it's this working in the margins and kind of eking out the little uh, hidden bits of literary nutrition <laughs> from the mud and detritus and the silt and and the uh, and, and all of that. I think as well what we've always thought as well with the Dunlin concept was that as they're working in this sort of river and you know sort of on these margins, we want 
to have a broader outlook with us as a publisher. So in some ways, we've always said that we'd rather win the, the Turner Prize rather than the Booker Prize. Mm-hmm. So we, although we have really, really high literary standards, mainly due to both of us have studied literature, Martin's got a PhD in it, so we're quite you know, sort of rigorous in that. But having said that, we want to open up to a wider conversation and a wider sort of thought process around the subjects that we're that we're uh, dealing with as well. So that's why we, you know, we combine illustration and art and photography and that kind of thing. So, you know, and, and events as well, you know, so we've got a more rounded experience of the book. And also as well, because there's a lot of digital stuff out there, making the object of a book is something quite important to us. It's a it's a, a relic, if you like. It's a it's a thing to keep and it's a it's a it's a piece of art in its own right really and it's an object. Uh, yeah and, and design's been quite in that sense been quite central to it. So the the books we've had a number of different sizes for the books, a number of different formats. Um, we're not just public we don't we haven't published a novel. We might publish a novel but we certainly haven't thought about publishing a novel yet. We think about publishing writing in whatever form that might take. So there's been poetry and reportage and um, uh, local history um, and, and all manner of different things, psychogeography. There's been um, photography and, and illustration. Illustrations interrupt the, the layout of the mm. books that we've got. And we just try to... We all, I think what we think of is rather than thinking this is going to be a good book that's going to um, fit, fit this genre, we're not very interested in genre... So rather than create books that are going to fit one place and one part of the marketplace and, and everyone's going to know exactly what it is, they're a little bit more inventive, hopefully, and we come to it like a project. It's almost yeah. like an art project in itself. So we, we find a theme that interests us, um, or a writer that interests us, um, and it could be quite a random choice, um, and then we work out what a book about this or from this person might look like. And it does, it turns into a whole creative thing. So a whole load of research goes on around it and playing and, you know, just to to build that build that, that story mm. up and build that, mm. you know, I always say about time capsules up, you know, this, this entity in itself, you know, there's a lot of stuff around. It's a very exciting process, actually. It is. I think one of the things that has um, kept us going so far has been explorations of space and place. Mm-hmm. So the first book was S to collect and um, collected reports from East Anglia. So we got about 20, 25 people writing from or about East Anglia to contribute to that. Our most recent book is um, The Orphan Spaces. No, it's not. It's, it's not. Lessons for an Apprentice Eel Catcher. Lessons for an Catcher by Alex Toms, but it relates to a lot of East Anglian, almost folklore in parts, mm. and about um, and and the eel catches of the fens. So it's it's rooted in some places, although it, it goes far beyond that. But I think a lot of her poems do have mm. a, a real sense of place. Before that, The Orphan Spaces, which is really about sites of, I suppose, post-industrial land that have been left and the weeds start to grow up and the birds return. So it's a little bit of nature, flora and fauna. And then The Migrant Waders, which was about... Um, migratory birds, as we've said, um, but also the the paths that uh, humans make on those migrations that sometimes mirror the routes that the birds are making themselves, which is quite a hard sell as a book because um, it doesn't really fit in any it's, one it's, camp. We can't. I mean, that's the one. Everything else. I mean, also we had priced out by Tin Sledwoods that talked about 
artists and creative people and ordinary people being priced out of London. But I think one of the things that that's it, we can really sum up a lot of our books with a word, but I think with the migrant waders, it's um, it's like, well, it's about migration. It's about the personal and the political, you know, and how they intertwine. But it's, it's it, yeah, it's not catchy one-liner. It's quite, diffi- <laughs> quite difficult to write the blurb on the back of a book when you come to do something like that. I think that The Migrant Waders is, is a really interesting one for us, and it was our second book. And it, it, it's because, isn't it really interesting to do something that you can't quite sum up easily? And most of the commercial publishers will say, if you can't say it in one line, yeah. then you can't do it. And is, you know, isn't it just interesting to do something that... Um, is certainly intriguing and you might not know what it is until you've got through it through it and then th- there's a an idea that you think yeah that that was the idea I get it now but you're going to have to explore it first before you find out what it what it actually is now Alan Rob Grillet <laughs> <laughs> uh, the French uh, writer of Nouveau Roman in, in the mid-20th century some uh, one of his books um, for a new novel I think and this, he asks himself, why do you write? And he says, to find out what it was that I wanted to say. And I think that there's a little bit about what we do that mm. falls into that kind of category of investigation. So can I ask you then about your relationships with the writers that you commission? How do you, do people approach you? Do you go and seek people out? How does that how does that work to bring a, a project together? It's been a combination of things, actually, for the individual books. We did um, for both for Est and Migrant Waders and the new book Port that we're, we're, we're currently having a call for submissions out on our website through social media. It's a phenomenal um, how good a response we've had from, from that, actually. Um, we've put it up in university creative writing um, departments as well because we are interested in hearing newer voices just as well as established ones. But then what we try and do is we'll get that open submissions and then we'll, we'll because we've got background as editors, we'll do that thing where then we'll, we'll, we'll go, right, okay, what's missing? You know, what, what do we think needs, what hole needs filling? So, for example, with Est, we knew of an artist, Luke Elwes, that was um, painting the Blackwater all around East Anglia and we were like we've got to have him we've got to have that thing of what's it like to capture something in paint you know so that was a kind of romantic bit of bit of the book um I felt it was romantic I loved his writing anyway he's a phenomenal mm. writer but um then we had then I was sat there going yeah but we're not talking at no point have we mentioned the very very strong archaeological history of Colchester we need that filling so we we um in we got in touch with Philip Crummy, who's the the expert in um, Roman Colchester history. So we were like, right, right, we'll contact him. So it's when we did the migrant waders, we contacted the the BTO and we also contacted the, BTO? the uh, and ah, it's the British bird, Trust for British Trust for Ornithology. Ornithology. Right, yeah. it's a bird thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we also contacted the RSPPB and we had um, writers from there, but we also contacted the Refugee Council as well so we you know we wanted to have this these pillars if you like around the book to kind of anchor the the writing the, as well the, the more yeah the creative writing that comes yeah. through yeah but then we've also approached people so with tinsel i used to work with tinsel 
and um, I used to work with her in the, the sort of mid-noughties and we'd all go out and, you know, get drunk and everything. And But she was do, She always did very, very personal painting and um, she's worked with Banksy and she's worked with um, all kinds of different organisations and she's she's been quite prolific in, in her output. And then she went to have a baby came and then came back to London and she lived in Berlin for a while as well. And on returning to London, with circumstances very much changed, she realised that she couldn't live, you know, in any kind of sort of way as an artist and as a mother and as someone with a sort of reduced income, um, necessarily so because she's a, a full-time artist, in London anymore. She couldn't do it, whereas she could in the past. And so she created a, a set of paintings around that. And I, I remember going to see the, her, her recent work and going... There's a book here. There's a definite book here. You know, I said, like, this is your voice. We're not going to interfere as such. We're not going to tell you how to write or what to write. So that's a very honest account. And we approached Alex Toms purely and simply um, for her book because she's just a fantastic poet. And she's her work is just so powerful and so good that we were like, we've got, you know, so we'll we'll approach people and we'll... We'll accept people we'll as well. receive as well, yeah. yeah. And what, so if if someone wanted to, you know, approach you, what, what would you be looking for? You've mentioned you've got themes and, and you're plugging holes occasionally. What what appeals to you? I think that uh, it's got to appeal to us as, as artists ourselves. And I think that's the thing. And again, it's maybe different from some from some other publishers. I think I think editors might, will always tell you that... And people who are running, publishers running lists at, at uh, companies or agents will say, I've got to love it. I've got to be excited by it. And I don't think we're any different. No, in, and in that's that not a very helpful or tangible thing to say. <laughs> yeah, but having said yeah. that, it, it's true. It's true. Yeah. But I think that um, we're not scared of someone bringing something that's quieter or having a, a different voice. We do want it to be intelligent. We do want it to... Um, perhaps tell a story that's been slightly overlooked. But we're very small as well. We, 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 we can't take, you know, we, we've turned things down because we haven't, unfortunately, really, because we, we haven't got the capacity to be able to give it our due attention. Uh, maybe that'll change if done in press matures as a, as a publisher. But um, I think we've mentioned, you know, we, we, there's certain things we know at the moment, you know, we're not really interested in. We're not really interested in in fantasy novels or children's books or thrillers were very much interested because we know that other people can pub- other publishers yeah. can publish yeah. things this, and they'll know. be able to promote it more and what we know it's in our capacity to do is to be able to publicize people's work when they're working in this very sort of niche space and that that's where if if we're looking like we've got you know sort of any expertise in any area um it's in quite a niche area and we're happy with that but it would be not very um, honest of us to take on a writer who wanted something different and then fail them. And it's a really big commitment for a writer. And most writers know that whatever they write isn't going to make them rich. But that doesn't mean that they're not deserving of some care and some support and, and to have a very honest relationship. So we have to find people, I think, that know what we're doing and, uh, and like what we're doing and then for us to like their work. Yeah, it's it's that thing where, yeah, you kind of need to 
look at our books, look at our website, look at look at our accounts and how we what we project out rather than going, you're a publisher, you'll you'll do, you can publish me. Just main, mainly because that won't work for anybody. Mm. And it actually more than anything won't work for the for the writer themselves. You know, mm. that's and I mean that was the thing that I remember saying to Alex, you know, communication's really key sometimes as well, you know, arguments and bad feeling can arise if you're not clear from the start and if you're not if you don't in some ways over communicate mm. and you know if there's an issue let's talk about it let's be you know and actually there wasn't an issue at all it was beautiful but yeah. but I yeah. felt I needed to say that from the start because that's important and Dundon Press is definitely it's a project and it's not just a list of books that we're putting out it's definitely a project it's got it's got a brand to it it's got a a look and feel to it so we really want to take on people who are going to they'll help us develop that um, and, and then hopefully we can develop them as well but that there's a nice synergy between the two mm. because if there isn't it, it's going to be a fight and we'll we'll do all of our sides a disservice well it's that thing isn't it Dunlin's work together as individuals and as, and as in a group so you want to respect that I mean you want to yeah. respect the individual writers and honour it and really really honour it and equally you know it needs to we all need to fly together and do our do our thing what would a writer get in return for building a relationship with i think the i think that the biggest thing writers look for is an actual means to get their book out which certainly the writers um, writing at the level we're looking for as as a poet I, i come across lots of small poetry presses and it's actually taking on that financial burden of publishing the book, of owning the means to the production to some degree, um, to, to having the, the software, um, having the experience to, to run the page layouts, to make the covers, to speak to the publishers, and uh, to the printers, um, to make sure that the PDFs all go off right. And that whole um, publish, real sort of the mechanics of the publishing side is one thing, which we've got from years of oh. working in... Too right. many years. magazines, yeah. um, which means that you I mean know, that's it. You saying that that's second nature to me, and I always forget that most people don't know about it, and most people find that a very scary and intimidating mm. process. Mm. And that's I think that's also one of the things that we we offer as well is to actually not necessarily demystify because if you don't know it, you don't know it, but certainly to take the fear factor out of that and mm. to really kind of work through that process together on that. Yeah. So I think we I think no, no I think we produce good products for writers and perhaps at a at a quality that's at least as good as lots of other people. Yeah. Um and that the, the, I think they look pretty good. Look, there was a little thing from my commercial world. I used to work on the M&S home catalog and I remember um I was at a shoot and the stylist was there and the art director was there and the art director moved something and she went Remember, guys, we just need to put that little kiss on the end. And it is that thing where that's exactly what I certainly want to do when I approach designing the Dunning Press books. I want them to be special. I want people to pick them up and go, oh, right, I need that. And I need to provide that for our writers and provide, you know, and do that service because it needs to have that element of magic, that element of love that... You know, so for example, with Alex's book, she wasn't just going to get some stock pictures of eels and this, that and the other. She was going to get some hand cut collage Mm -hmm. and, you know, and there was going to be some research going to that because that's going to give it that extra boom, 
you know mm. we you went out and took some pictures of the water and everything and it it needs that extra that extra spoonful of love that kiss on the end that makes that object because we are to, talking about the book as the object something special and something that's not just going to be tossed aside it's, they are gorgeous looking books i've got a couple <laughs> here and they are i want them to be gorgeous objects. yeah i and uh, you know and I, I want them to have that you know i think a lot of books aren't that nicely designed some some people get it and lots of small presses don't get it so much they'll publish you know 12 books a year and i don't really know if you're publishing 12 books a year as a small press how you can have really paid due care and attention to the the fit to what that book is going to be as a as an artifact mm-hmm. in itself you know we're very lucky because we've had so much experience in our day jobs of opening up our own design documents and working with designers as well. I mean, that's the other thing as well. We've worked with a lot of really good designers over the years. We've listened, you know, but we've learned a lot from that. And I think that sometimes, to be fair to, to the publishers you mentioned, they're interested in getting the, the, the words out, mm-hmm. you know, and that's their priority. And they might not have the expertise that, that we have. So they'll, they'll supply a Word document to their printers. Their printer will lay it out. And it's done, and there's a, a a tiff for the for the cover, and that's it. And yeah. it's and that's a service that they can do, and that's fine. And everyone's got their specialisms. Yeah. Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit my blog, goodcopybadcopy.co.uk, for a wealth of writing tips and to claim your free copy of my ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That'll Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, do remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Your support really means a lot to me because it helps get the show noticed. Now, back to the interview. my husband and people are always saying oh my god if I had to work with my spouse I we'd have killed each other by the end of day one how, how does it work I don't find it difficult no. whatsoever really I, I've never no. you know I've always enjoyed working with you I think it's because we're quite different we met at university and we were in some of the same classes so being vaguely professional with each other um, <laughs> and, and working together has sort of been there from from the start and we had, a, I think as Ella mentioned earlier, we, we had a lot of on-off sort of artistic projects happening before we, before we got done and press off the ground. Whether that was Ella reading over um, some of my writing, whether it was me helping to hang some of Ella's exhibitions, whether it was running some pamphleteering across East London in the early part of this century and mm-hmm. things like that, we've... We've done various things together and sort of honed the way that we work together over quite a long period of time. It feels very natural now, mm. certainly not problematic. And I think you develop a really good um, sense of trust um, in each other's opinions. Yeah, I think sometimes as well there's a bit of telepathy that goes on. But then we've known each other a long time, so you know, mm. I enjoy it though, I must admit. I've, mm. I've never quite understood when people say, oh, we'd, we'd split up. You know, I'm like, oh, you should split up then. Yes, <laughs> you can't terrible. work together. What do yeah, you exactly. think? <laughs> but it sounds to me like a lot of the time it doesn't actually feel like work. No, it doesn't. No, it's kind of my favourite thing to do. Dumb impressed, to be honest. Yeah, and it was it was built as you know it was an antidote to the day job really at the time where we'd been both of us putting lots of hours into developing quite creative work for for, for brands, for organisations, for agencies. 
Um, and it was really nice to be able to say, should we just take this knowledge and bring it back into our creative space and do something and create things that we really, really like? So, yeah, it is, it's it's a cliche about, you know, not feeling like work. But um, generally speaking, no, when we can turn our minds um, to that, um, it doesn't feel like work at all. And do you, do you still have day jobs? Yes. That you're juggling alongside Yes. Them? Yeah. How, how do you balance that and... and are they completely separate things, or, or do, does one half of your life have an influence on the other? I think you can still learn from day jobs, and especially because, you know, where we come from in a, in a print publishing background, that's just moved on so, so much over the past decade or so. It's certainly informed our social media. Yeah, building campaigns mm-hmm. around what you do, mm-hmm. being able to, you know, control your image online and develop your image and brand online, that's things that will have learnt about through work. You have to be diligent at, you know, first obviously getting the work done and then finding some hours to do done in press. Obviously, as you say, you know, when it doesn't feel like work, that helps because you can fill, fill free time where other people might go and go to the pub or watch, watch the football or something. You'll find us turning our attention to done in press. Checking some proofs. Yeah. Checking some proofs, <laughs> looking at layout, um, looking at designs, researching... And you know, running the social media and everything just to keep keep visibility online. But I think it's fair to say is that we we've both pretty much found a way to be to work in in day jobs. In a we're not full time in the office nine to five, so we're not going out Monday morning and kind of finally collapsing in at uh, you know six half six on a Friday, thinking now that job's out of the way. You know we have we you know we work a lot from home. I don't think we want to be as a publisher or as a an art collective or whatever, totally removed from that kind of world of work and in in some kind of artistic, you know, ivory tower or anything where we're where we're just dealing with high highfalutin ideas of art and literature <laughs> that bear no relation to anything. What do you mean? I'm often on the chaise long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, that exposure to the grubby realities the of grubby commercial reality. life. Well, also, I suppose sometimes it helps. I mean, I used to sometimes be... more glossy than uh, yeah. the other reality. <laughs> Just tell me, what, what are your day jobs? What, what are you juggling this with? So I work um, as, a, as a content strategist. Right. Um, part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> working for an agency. And my, my sort of editorial background has seen me go through organisations and agencies in London working on for all manner of different clients over the years. I provide sort of creative consultancy, so creative content, things like Instagram accounts, um, copywriting, you kind of whole look and feel for brands as well. Words yeah. and pictures, though. It's always been, always words, been and, words and words pictures. And pictures. <laughs> Same yeah. with me and my husband. It, the, yeah. I think it's a thing, isn't it? The copywriter and the designer. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, I think as well, I mean, just my production editor tendencies do come out sometimes with, with Dunlin Press, where I can still be the production editor fascist. It's like, no, this is the dead, like we said, you know, and I can do that. And I kind of quite enjoy that, actually. I quite enjoy that discipline, yeah. you know. Mm. And I think it helps as well. Mm. I think that there's there's a lot to be said for having a creative process and refining and refining and refining. But I also think that sometimes there's a lot to be said with, no, that's done now. This is the deadline. This is this is where, when it's going. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. There's a lot to be said for a bit of boundaries and discipline mm. <laughs> um, amongst the amongst the art. All the creation. Yes. You know. You've talked about the sort of production side and your creative process. 
what what happens once a book has been published? How do you deal with the sort of distribution? You've mentioned your your active on social media, but would I be able to get this in my friendly local bookstore? Yes, yeah. One of the things that's helped us, and you were talking to people at the Small Publishers Fair, is a print-on-demand service. Yeah, I think most publishers now have, have come round to the idea that the technology's there, that you can offer print-on-demand. So whereas once over, you had to um, kick off the, the publishing run with the, your litho printer of maybe a 1,000 or something, that's just not the case anymore. Um, so even the the really big um, established print plants will will offer a, a short-run digital print service, um, which means that you can you, you know, either get initial print runs of maybe 50 or 100 if you need to, um, and quite a lot of people, that's, that's what they'll do now. Um, but then there's some companies who um, bookshops can order direct from. So when they, when they log into their sort of, you know, bookshop computer and, and look up your book, they will be able to literally call up the print-on-demand printer and, and get one in within a matter of a few days, almost as if you'd um, ordered it from Amazon, which is re- it really helps a lot of people. And even even the sort of established small presses that have been around for decades, I've talked to quite a few of them, and they'll say that it means that they don't have to make a loss straight away and then gradually recoup things over years. It means that they can print up, you know, if there's an avant-garde poetry book, you can print up 50 copies and, and stand a chance of selling them and making your money back rather than be sitting with, uh, you know, a thousand in the garage, yes. waiting to be sold over over years. And then if you get through your 50 copies, you can order 10 more. So it means it's easier for you to hold stock yourself. And it's easier for other people to order. I mean, we get yeah. our monthly thing from our the digital company we use, and it'll be this little statement, and someone's ordered three books, someone's ordered mm-hmm. five books of one, and you'll just get this statement, it's like, oh, and we've not seen it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've not, yeah. you know, we yeah. haven't You've done not a touched thing. the physical, yeah. no. And yeah. it's just gone out and, and... And are people from outside the UK ordering these books? Yeah, yeah, I mean... We've, we've, yeah, we've got a few from the States and, yeah. and around about... You literally, you know, you when you set up your account with the company, it'll say, you know, do you want this made available? A lot of them are international companies. Mm-hmm. And it's just because the technology's changed. And there was an initial, I think, if maybe if you go back, you know, 10 years, you might have found some initial resistance to this because, you know, digital isn't maybe not quite as nice as, as you know, the old ways of printing and that there was a certain sort of sense that you know if you if you're getting a thousand copies of a book printed up you feel like you're in it pretty much big time whereas if you're getting um uh you know 50 or 100 or 200 printed up maybe it feels like you're not really you're not expecting those sales but actually in practice what it means is you're just not running at a loss straight away mm-hmm. um so it's a much it's much safer and that means you can you can um deal with more titles um, take more creative risks. Take more creative absolutely. risks. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a real boon, and it's really reinvigorated the um, small presses around the UK, and probably you know, obviously in the states and, and everywhere else as well. Um, so it's been a real, yeah, it's been a real benefit, I think, to small publishers, and and it means that once you start looking at what's out there, you realise what a really huge and varied world there is beyond. You know the the big hitters that are still there and, and and doing well. It also means that we, although our production values are, we're quite diligent about what we choose with 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 our with the print company that we use. Um, so we're quite diligent about our paper stock and our cover stock within those boundaries. 
I think as well what's um, important to me is that our books are affordable. Mm. And so it means that, you know, we can actually offer our books an affordable price for the for the consumer. Because although we have got a handmade box set of the Orphan, Orphan Spaces, which because I've, I've, I've done book binding, I've handmade, yeah, that's expensive. But you can also buy the book for nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a there's price mm-hmm. point that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. people can, and I think that that's important to us that there's mm-hmm. that there are there is a price point that people can afford as well, and that's again the yeah. the luxury, if you like, yeah. of of what's been afforded. Um, I think it'd be lovely to do a beautiful Italian poem, you know, sort <laughs> of. But I think it still holds that um, with the sorts of books we create, it's it's slow burn. It's you know you you'll always do well around the time of launch. But then really we're not thinking that this is like, you know, six months and then it's just going to be the re- whatever is left is pulped. Mm-hmm. This is something that is going to go on and be valuable over a much longer term. Um, and that means that if, if all of a sudden one of our authors is sort of going out and, and mm-hmm. doing some events, we can get some more books printed for them to take mm-hmm. out, take to the events and then they can sell them. It means we can carry on selling and, and it's long burn, long, long tail stuff. Mm-hmm. And big cartellers, we've got a big cartel shop. But we'll nearly always do an event where we'll sell the books and we'll always sort of contact various bookshops and everything. One of the things that we haven't done that might be yeah. interesting for people to understand is we haven't put books up for sale on Amazon. Interesting. Uh, Why? Uh, we, we could talk about our thoughts on Amazon and their, <laughs> and their, and their, their <laughs> ability is to pay tax. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But we, we talk to a lot of independent booksellers and and also to a lot of publishers and small publishers. And it's really punitive for people who are not able to shunt loads of books Amazon's way, who charge much higher um, a, a cut of the profits, um, which means that you're going to pay your authors less or you're going to we'll, we'll have less recouped in order to invest in the next book. We're not for profit. So anything that we make back on a book just goes into the next book. And... Now, our Amazon... book is available to buy on Amazon, but we haven't put it there. Because another bookshop shop can order from... Right, of course. Yeah, yeah, so they can do it. But, yeah. no, we haven't done that, and yeah. we won't do it. And I think, as well, we really want them to support where we can, independent bookshops as well. Yeah. That's important to us as yeah. well. Which we do. We get sales through independents. They will give, either give us a call and say, can we have one of your boxes? Because we're the stockholder. Or they'll go straight to the print-on-demand people. Not all of our books are print-on-demand, but... Um, um, but where they are, they'll go there. So if people wanted to browse your online store, where would they go? Dunlinpress.com is probably, yeah, That's it's right. easier to yeah. remember, isn't it? Yeah. Can I ask you what your hopes are for Dunlin Press? Where do you see it? I think that we're still in a very steady phase of sort of not steep growth, um, where we are just building up a name for ourselves. And this has been the plan, really, to just, you know, incremental, in, you know, increase on increase for the first few books that we we put out. Our next book, however, Port, which we are just, we're still in our submissions window for this. And really it's just... When does that close, just in case? The 31st of March. Yes. Okay. Um, Information on the website, (laughs) dunlinpress.com. But um, this is really um, probably the most open and wide-ranging submissions window that we've had. So it's still focused on on ports, on harbours, on the towns that are the ports, on the, the industry and the trade. In the UK? Or in the UK, UK, yeah, in the UK really we're looking at. And we're, what we're really hoping to do is is paint a picture of how ports um, not only shape themselves, but shape shape the nations 
as well. Um, so we're looking for prose and poetry and uh, reportage and all, all all kinds of writing really, and it's quite an open an open remit for for writers, and it's it's really exciting because we don't know what we're going to get. Um, we've had submissions coming in already, and we tend to um, you know just leave them in, in 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 that pile until the window closes, and then we'll go through and we'll sort. And what we're really hoping for is that this is the closest thing we've done since our first book to, to what we started out with, Est, which was that very open submissions window. Uh, but of course, that was really focused on East Anglia. So sorry to everyone in the northeast or the northwest or the southwest. This at least opens it up to, to all around the coastline of the UK. And it'll be really interesting to see what comes in. And hopefully that allows us to reach again a, a wider audience potential audience and just yet again nudge Dunlin Press out a little bit further into the consciousness of of an audience and of booksellers and, and people around the country so it's just yet yeah, an extra stage what we definitely don't want to do at the moment is take on too much where we can't give it due attention as we want to do we want to make a good product we want to take care of the writing we want to be able to you know ensure that the people who are contributing to what we do feel that they've been looked after, though we're small, um, that they like the Do you see like the, the team product. expanding? Great if it could. It'd be fantastic if it could. Yeah, I think it will do. In, we think it will do yeah. in time. Yeah. And we've got um, sort of, uh, probably can't say in, sort of, in any sort of certainty, but we've got a sort of a, a rough plan for, you know, how this will move forward. But we kind of want it to feel fairly organic. We know that there'll come a point where something is needed. Mm. And I think that perhaps beyond port, we'll start to move into that point where we're going to need a little bit of an extra pair of hands mm. to deliver some of the work that we'd like to be able to do. But it would be good if, if we're, again, if we're asking more people in, we need to know that there's a reason for them being there and that they're going to enjoy that process. We're not just kind of, you know, getting someone into to make tea and think, what well, you know, why am I here? Yeah, they've um, got to feel as invested in it. As, as we are, yeah. yeah. And everyone can sort of take part in owning the, the process and the, and the product as well. Mm-hmm. So I think at the moment we're in a very sort of organic kind of phase. There's always going to come a point where something will land, like all small businesses, where an opportunity will come in that you'll want to take or it'll be forced mm-hmm. on you, where a decision is going to be made. Um, and I think that we know some of those things that might happen, and we're sort of fairly ready for that. But at the moment... Well, that's how you progress, isn't it's it? It's how you so, progress, yeah. But we're yeah. enjoying where we're at yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Be nice to, it'd be nice to move it forward and kind of and, and be able to offer more. I think that's the thing. So you've got to know what your offer is. And I think scale alone yes. yeah. is overrated. Just more, just bigger, isn't really what we're about. Dunlings are still these little... Mm. These well, little birds. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Interesting, engaging, heart lifting. Yeah. That's that's where we want to be rather than bigger. Yes. Yeah. Before I let you go, I do have a quick fire round uh, where I want to ask about your... Well, normally it's your writing process, so your artistic process, your creative process maybe as well. So the first question is, what fuels your writing, coffee, tea or something stronger? <laughs> Fresh air and train journeys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Martin, you see, you can tell which one's the poet out yeah. of us. <laughs> um, oh, um, 
I'm really tempted to quote um, Bruce Robinson where he said, where he said, I have to have a head full of red before I have to write anything. <laughs> but that's not that's not the case for me. And um, actually, it's um, yeah, walks and um, actually walks and wading birds. Actually, okay, yeah, bit of a fresh air theme. Yeah. and liking. I'm a bit obsessed with liking, or is it liching? I don't know. I can't pronounce it, but I'm obsessed. That sort with of mossy it all the same. stuff. Yeah, that yeah. That stuff that'll outlive us all. <laughs> um, when do you like to write or create? Are you a lark or an owl? All over the place. Train journeys. <laughs> Again, I spend a lot of time on trains. Is it the rhythm of them? It it's um, it's the fact that you see a lot of the world as you go by, but you're also in your own space. Mm-hmm. And you almost have to make your own space on a train. You sort of form a little bubble around yourself. I find it quite... Conducive, and I hear lots of other people do as well. And it's really, it's to say grabbed time sounds as if it's you know making the most of five minutes here and there, but it really, I just mean that it, it follows no particular order for me. I, I try and if something hits, I try and make that time for it to um, at least get onto a page in some scribbly form in the moment. Um, I could genuinely be a mad old lady with cheese in my hair that actually ironically forgets to eat and could just work all day and just get up early and then work late. I can, I mean, Martin's a very good disciplinarian in the sense that he'll tell me to stop working. Whereas I can, yeah, I can sit in the studio and I can draw and potter about and then have another little idea and go off and do that. And as I say, I mean, I dread to think what the civilising influence of Dr Buick <laughs> you know, I could just, I'd just be there in a manky cardigan, you know, with no makeup on and hair that hasn't seen a, you know, seen water for days, and me just going, oh no, I'm just, I'll just finish this bit. I'm in the zone. Yeah, mm. you know, but I can, yeah, I can, I, you could put me on a desert island, I'd be quite content just working. Um, we haven't, we haven't actually discussed your own poetry, Martin, but in terms of your your writing, mm-hmm. would you say you're a planner or a plunger? Do you sort of draft a detailed outline or do you dive right in um, you... plunge and then revisit and revisit and revisit I tend to write a lot very quickly and think it's done and that I'm a genius and then I hate it and then I don't look at it for a while and then I come back and realise where things are let down um, in, in the writing and I go over it and over it and over it lots. Um, so uh, I suppose people might say it's never done. But there's usually a very quick writing burst and then lots of careful attention afterwards. I think so many professional writers, and I'm certainly one of them, I'm not writing poetry or anything like that, but it's it's all in the editing. That's when something yeah. comes together. And I think that, you know, as I, we've mentioned a bit about professional lives, but as an editor... On, on magazines, etc., where you've commissioned people and received words, you realise what process there is beyond receipt of words mm-hmm. to actually hone something, and that it's a really, really, um, it's integral to, to getting good words out there. What about your autistic practice? So, some pieces of work, um, particularly some larger pieces and some more detailed pieces, I will plan. And I'll do quite a lot of research and sort of image research on it. And I'll have a definite look that I want to achieve. I won't achieve that look because it never, ever turns out how I 
uh, how the um, what is it to quote Gogol? Uh, Gogol, sorry, and um, a mere a mere imitation of the epic poem taking shape in my mind. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm sorry, a mere shadow of the echo uh, epic poem. Um, so I'll do that. But then what I do try and do is, and I've certainly tried to do it recently, is to try and be a little bit more spontaneous and to allow a little bit more play in my work because I think what I have done is and this is a legacy of working full time and then devoting spare time to my artistic practice is that you tend to want to get something a piece of work achieved so you'll plan a piece of work you'll do that piece of work but there's no playfulness in between and I think now that I'm working um, from home a bit more and working part time I've allowed that aspect of play to come into my work which is actually has spurred on my work and developed my work and so I'm a little bit sort of rueful of myself that I haven't done that before so a bit of both planning and plunging and play and play musical silence silence or symphonies something that isn't going to be too distracting in some ways if you know that the wash of a symphony can go all the way over you and in some ways as you can zone out with silence Nothing too distracting. For me, um, I'm I have a pathological fear of silence, so I tend to fill the house or the studio with with noise of some kind. So it could it could be various sort of things of in our time that I'll listen to when I'm when I'm working um, when I'm drawing, or it can just be either classical music or indie pop of the nineteen nineties. That's not really, but you know what I mean, like that mm. kind of thing. So presumably you're not in the same rooms when you're working. No, no. Uh, in fact, I'm a terrible distractor. And, you know, I will sometimes... I, I mean, when we have worked in the same room, I'm like, Martin, 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 listen to this. Watch this. Look at this. And uh, that tends to be... Mm. I think it's the only time when it's a bit annoying. I think the nature of what we do means we have to be in different spaces some of the time. If we're editing, that's a different matter. But if I'm writing and you're, you're painting, then it means yeah. we're in different places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who is your favourite writer? Um, so it, it probably changes over the years. I would say last couple of years, the most inspiration I've taken and the person I've been most keen to get to know um, is the American poet John Ashbery. Um, I really like the fact that he um, always pushed on, was quite wayward in, in not sticking to his own sort of rules, um, breaking things down and the fact that at the same time, he's, um, dis- despite whatever he does in terms of form and language, he's always really insistent and tight on what he's trying to say. So there's always a real, a definite sense of outcome with what he does. Um, it's corny, but I've got two, and they're pretty obvious choices for me anyway. Um, and it's James Joyce and James Kelman. And I, I think the thing that unites them both and the thing that I adore about them both is their humanity and their honesty. I'm flinching honesty sometimes. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's bits that are uncomfortable to read, whether they're sad or actually whether they're happy or whether they're a bit embarrassing. But I, yeah, I like the humanity. Um, they tell the truth. So Finally, what's your best writing tip? So actually, picking up on that, um, I, I believe that even if you're making something up, you should tell the truth, if you know. And there's a there's a truth in 
in experience and in um, and in connection. Um, so even if you're making a scenario up, you should tell the truth. Um, I would say learn the rules, know the rules, but um, break the rules as well. Only once you know them. I think you've got to know them to know what breaking them is about. Otherwise it can get messy and you don't know what you're doing. Thank you both. It's been really delightful chatting to you today. Thank and, you. Uh, hearing all about Denlin Press. Thank I you. wish you the very best of luck with it. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us over. It's been good fun. It has Definitely been good, good fun. fun. Yes, yeah. I've really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review while you're there, that would really help me get the show noticed. Visit goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. I've been your host, Claire Lynch. Goodbye till the next episode. <laughs>